Welcome to Childcare CRM, the podcast. You're familiar with Childcare CRM, the company, and hopefully you love using Childcare CRM, the product. I'm your host, Sierra Rossing, and I serve as the content marketing specialist here at Childcare CRM. So for our listeners who aren't familiar with you, can you share a bit about your background in the childcare industry? Um, yes. So it's funny because I actually started off in childcare before I got into marketing. Um, I used to work on the Saquon Reservation in San Diego, where I worked directly with um, ages, uh, uh, I want to say, what was it? It was from like five until like nine. And it was, um, I spent like about a year doing that before I got into marketing. And it was um, having that sort of hands-on experience and understanding of like what goes into the day-to-day operations of a childcare center hugely insightful and enlightening for me years later getting into like childcare CRM. Yeah. And so is that what initially drew you to childcare CRM kind of seeing the, you know, how the operations flowed and maybe the pieces they were missing in their center? So I am, I kind of, I have the rule where at least for myself, like I'm just not one of those people who could market a product I didn't believe in. And when you pair the fact that I believe, truly believe our product, childcare CRM, is the best in the childcare industry, paired with the fact that I have a belief in the leadership team and in our team, those are all sort of big factors that played a role in my decision to come to childcare CRM. Yeah. And I know that you knew some of the leadership team members because you had worked together before. And um, can you share kind of how you got started in marketing? I know it was at a past company with people like Matt and Jared and Brett. So what was that transition like to marketing from childcare? Yeah, so it was, it's interesting because it's when making the transition into childcare, um, I'm really fortunate to be surrounded by by leadership that I, that I know, such as Matt or Mike Hook or Teddy Hook. Um, you know, so we already have that sort of communication cadence built in. Um, but the, the, the big thing I learned coming to childcare was that you have to throw out so many of your assumptions about what the best practices are for marketing in terms of like a B2B software space. And for those people listening who don't know what that means, that's business to business software as a service SaaS. So, yeah. And so you focus particularly in demand generation. Can you share a little bit about what that means? Yeah. So demand generation is fun because it's, it's, it's a little bit of a, a gray area of marketing. You have what's known as like general marketing managers who kind of oversee, you know, kind of whatever goes into that and whatever the structure of your team is, is going to determine what goes under that umbrella. Demand generation is super sort of focused on creating the demand for your product, creating or funneling existing demand. And usually that ties to either new revenue, right? Or it ties to customer retention, or upselling those customers. Um, And so what I do is I kind of help increase our footprint in that way um, and bring in new deals that help grow the company. Awesome. Well, I think this is something that childcare centers can obviously, no matter their size, greatly benefit from. Um, So when a childcare center provider is designing an email campaign, what's the first step? So I think the biggest question that a childcare provider should be asking themselves when they go to this, the effort of creating an email campaign is when you, your time as a childcare operator is so limited, 
that you have to really be purposeful and deliberate with the time you're taking to build these things. Because I guarantee if you go to the trouble of building one, that's not clear, concise, and really sort of narrow and focused on what it wants to do, then it's going to, it's going to, uh, uh, it's definitely going to discourage you from making more and making the most of your system. Um, so that's a long way of saying purpose, have a clear sense of purpose and a clear, concise goal for your campaign, you know, is the goal to, and I don't mean just, you know, more enrollments cause that's really vague, right? Everyone wants more enrollments. Everyone wants more children enrolled in their centers. But the goal should be like, you know, within each email should be a specific goal. And then within the broader scope of emails should be a larger goal. And so is the goal to educate? Is the goal to open a dialogue? Is the goal to illuminate a problem, right? Childcare, a lot of the time, the biggest thing, and this sort of goes across multiple industries. When you're email marketing, you want to highlight and make someone realize, make them so educated that they begin to see their own problems that they didn't realize they had, or they start to see the room for improvement that they didn't realize they could do. And that's the biggest thing is it's kind of like, and I know this is a cheesy example, but you ever see the movie Inception? You know, you got to incept people. (laughs) And uh, that's, that's, that's the biggest thing is a clear sense of purpose and a clear goal. Yeah. And I like that you mentioned the, you know, the idea of educating someone or creating a dialogue. And it definitely sounds like there needs to be kind of a regular cadence to these emails. How often should providers be sending emails to prospective families? So I think this is this this answer largely depends on the nature of your emails. So like, you know, we talked about purpose a little bit that's going to largely determine what the sort of communication cadence is there, right? Because you have, you can break it up into a number of ways. You might say someone who was a lost opportunity for your center, right? Mm -hmm. They are not ready to buy anytime soon, or I say buy, but I mean enroll. They're not ready to enroll anytime soon, but you want to keep in touch and you want to keep your center top of mind. Something like that might be a longer term nurture of emails, right? That might go on once a month, for several months until they either one leave whatever center they're currently with, or maybe they just finally need care. Um, Whereas someone who is already exploring centers where you've got data that shows you, Hey, this person's actively looking for care. You might have uh, an email stream that basically hits them every couple days, you know, cause they're when, when someone's in an active cycle like that, when someone's actively searching for the services that your business provides, you that's the time to 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 open that dialogue and that's the time to educate them on why your business your child care center is the best choice for them yeah and going back to you know the education creating a dialogue or maybe promoting programs in your center is there kind of a process you suggest that they follow like maybe first just focus on educating them and then focus on creating that dialogue and then get into more like sales driven material. Mm-hmm. Or- so I would, I would think from, from a, an operational standpoint, you should always, the first thing you should set up are going to be your automated follow-ups for inquiries. And I know that's, you have to get inquiries first, but yeah, Something like that is going to ensure when your first, either when your business is first starting out, this is for new business owners, or if you actively 
as a, a business that's existed for some time, don't have any sort of follow-up stuff set up, that right away is an easy way to increase your conversions and by extension, increase your enrollments. Because, you know, and as, as you've written about many times, response times matter. And so when you can utilize email marketing to basically step in as that, that auto response without making it seem all robotic and weird, but actually make it feel like a personalized touch from your center, that can be an immediate win and an immediate increase in your conversions, right? Then from there, you, after you've built out some of that, that automated operational stuff, you can start to build out things that are going to help you basically create uh, an identity and a brand for your center. Because people generally connect more with companies and businesses that have an identity, as opposed to just trying to make every email be like, sign up, sign up, sign up. Like people, I think, well, I think the important thing is to inject empathy into how you market to people. Think about the emails you receive and think about how many of them you either just mark as read or delete or mark as spam, even in cases for email lists that you signed up for. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And it reminds me of something that Julie Wassum um, mentioned when she was on the podcast. She talked about trying to position yourself as an honest, trustworthy and reliable source for parents so that they feel like they can turn to you for you know, anything surrounding their child, whether you're just educating them about something or they need your program or your care. Um, so I think that's a great point in kind of branding yourself through your emails. Yeah. And it's, it's the other thing is it's, you know, at least from my perspective, I've always, whenever, for instance, people reach out to me trying to, to pitch me services or vendors, software vendors and things like that, I'm always more willing to listen to them if we're all just sort of upfront about what it is. And what I mean by that is like, if you're a center and you're emailing someone, you're clearly trying to get this person to enroll. And so, you know, you can, you can, what you can do to sort of like subvert that tension and subvert that resistance from someone is stick to materials that provide value, right? Stick to, educating them, providing them templates, providing them things that actually genuinely help or educate them, and then give them the channel to reach out to you when they're ready, when they've reached that sort of threshold for engagement to where they're very likely to enroll with your center. Yeah. Yeah. And so in sending emails, obviously we know that, you know, it pops up in our inbox and there's a subject line, a little bit of preview text and a lot of times for me, based on that is whether I open it, or I just immediately delete it. Um, so how can child care providers use a subject line or preview text to grab parents' attention before they even open the email? Right. So there's there are, are three main components before you ever open an email that someone is going to see, right? And that's going to be your sender. That's going to be your subject. And that's going to be your preview text. And so each of those can have a huge impact on your open rates and your deliver deliverability rates. Um, with subject line, you always want to take, for one, you always want to test on all of these, you know, depending on the industry, whether it skews towards male, female, non-binary, or if it's an industry that prefers to be reached out directly from people versus business facing marketing emails. Um, 
we test on senders. We test on AB subject lines. Um, with subject lines, you want to have a clear um, sort of differentiation between, you know, do I go with a loss aversion subject line or do I go with a positive reinforcement subject line, right? Mm -hmm. The difference could be, you know, stop losing enrollments versus boost your enrollments, you know? Mm -hmm. And then recording that stuff and taking your findings and implementing that into practice over time. And so it's important. And I know up front, it's like more work, but the longer you do it, the less work it becomes, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it, it's a lot of upfront work, but over time it gives you way more success and you have way more insight into how your ideal customer is going to think and respond. And so the subject line, that's one step. And then preview text is kind of something that most people underestimate. Most people don't, um, a lot of people will just leave it saying whatever is at the front of the actual email. I think it's actually a really great opportunity to say something that you don't say in the email, but to engage them. And that aligns with the themes of what you're talking about in the email. Because there's, if you just have the same thing, they're just reading that twice. Now they've opened your email and you've already wasted real estate on something you've already, they've already read. You know? yeah. yeah, that's a great point. And for childcare, in your opinion, do you think that parents prefer to receive an email, like you mentioned, from an individual or rather from, you know, a business name? So this is where it's going to, what's going to matter is kind of who you're sending to, mm -hmm. Right being mindful of your audience is super important because it's very easy to get caught up in either one, your assumptions about the marketplace or two, the sort of like, it's very easy to assume. And I think a lot of people make this mistake that a larger audience is better. Um, and when you do that, the, the bigger it gets, the more diluted your message gets, the more it tries to be everything to everyone and ultimately means nothing, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so um, generally, I find that um, the messaging is going to determine what kind of sender the recipient wants. So take in the case of webinars, take in the case of blog digest, new materials like that. People want that to come from, you know, the company. They want that to be an official source, an official um, voice. Whereas something like demand gen based emails, which are going to be your prospecting emails, the emails that you're going to be sending out hoping to gain, new, explicitly hoping to gain new enrollments. Those ones are probably going to benefit from a more personal touch if it looks like it's coming from someone at your company. Yeah. And would you suggest maybe a director or an owner's name in that place? I think it should be, um, I'm a big proponent of honest marketing. So I think it should be someone who's actually going to be um, on the other end. Maybe they're not necessarily the only person on the other end, but they should be a real person. I generally like to, to use real names. I know some people make up names. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I think it reflects very positively when an executive is taking the time and is aware and is available to new customers. And I think that shows a commitment from the company to the well-being and success of these potential customers. So. Yeah, absolutely. And so back to subject lines a little bit, um, you mentioned, you know, positive subject lines versus kind of loss, um, like the fear of losing out, fear of missing out. Yeah. Um, loss aversion. Yes. Can you give a, an example for a childcare center of each of those of how they could reach out to new inquiries? 
So new inquiries. Now, when you say new inquiries, are you saying like reach out to someone who's already asked about care? I would say, yeah, maybe someone who hasn't scheduled a tour yet, but they're showing some initial interest in your program. Yeah. Yeah. So if I had to give an example, I would probably say, um, I know like things that come to my mind, I'm just trying to give an example for like our listeners. But, yeah. Um, I know Chris Murray does a good job of this. She has several blogs uh, regarding this topic. And yeah. I want to say, if you're trying to generate tours and correct me if I'm wrong, cause you're the expert, but something along the lines of, you know, we've only got one spot left or, um, you know, you don't want to miss out on. So that's, yes. That's actually a, that's a little bit different. That's adding a sense of urgency. Okay. Right. So, and that's, what you could do with that with parents, right? So adding a sense of urgency would be parents, guardians, families, um, to be inclusive here. We, um, you, what you can do is you can do something like that where it's like, Hey, one day left, we'll be sold out soon. And people do this with concerts all the time. They say, Hey, it'll be sold out by the, uh, by the end of the weekend or something like that. Right. Yeah. Or you can do positive reinforcement there and turn around and be like, cool, sign up today and receive this promo versus this promo is going to end soon. Right? right. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I think I person, I think everyone responds differently to those kind of messages, you know, whether you operate more out of like the fear of missing out and whether that's, you know, part of your daily life or whether you respond better to positive affirmations and feeling like you're being included in something. Um, so you mentioned testing and how often would you suggest that people test, you know, their email subject lines or senders, um, especially when they're first starting out? You should be, especially when you're first starting out, you should be testing as often as you can, mm -hmm. because that's kind of going to have a snowball effect on your success later on, right? Because if you decide, hey, I'm going to do 10 emails, into to various uh, people in the span of two months, right? 10 emails. And let's say you don't test on any of those. You've now gone two months where you could have incrementally improved. And so instead of improving from say, you know, let's say you started off at 10%, which is like not a great open rate, but you're new, you're learning, you know, this audience is cold to you. Mm -hmm. They're not familiar with you. So let's say you start off at 10%, two months later, you're barely at like 12, 13% because you didn't do the testing. You didn't find what was resonating. Whereas testing, you could have gone from within the first two weeks from 10 to 13, two more weeks to 15, two more weeks to 17. And those incremental improvements are going to snowball over time until you know, six months down the line, you've got a steady open rate of 30%, you know, with people who are aware of your brand, aware of your center and who are comfortable consuming that information. Okay. So you mentioned open rates and click-through rates. Um, and I know these are kind of ways to track your performance, particularly in email marketing campaigns. Are there any other ways to measure performance or methods that you suggest for providers? Yeah. So there's like, there's a few key things, right? To think about. You want to think about your emails. Um, one performance amongst individual emails. And by performance, I mean, open rates, click rates, response rates, 
um, click through rates, which are going to tell you like, hey, which um, like of the people who open, what percentage of them click through versus what was just the total click through percentage. Mm -hmm. Um, And those are going to help you determine where you can improve within your emails, right? So if you have an, uh, an open issue, low open rates, that doesn't mean you have to go in and rewrite the email because they're not even seeing the email. It means you need to go back to your subject line, your sender, your preview text, and kind of see what you can tweak there to reach improvements. Whereas if your click-through rate is rough, that means that the people are opening it, but once they're in it, they're, they're not finding that content compelling or engaging. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you might, at that point, have to have to test formatting, test the copy in your email with or without a header. Um, do you use a button versus a link? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then that's the other thing, reply rates. So you want to always, ultimately, the really, truly best emails, people are just going to be straight up emailing you back, being like, hey, unless you have a process, such as you know a CRM that provides like landing pages and forms where they can fill that out themselves and kind of self-service, because if you're any, if, if, people are anything like me, I like to self-service. I don't want to hop on the co- on a phone call to find out this or that. You know, I don't want to have to uh, wait for someone to email me back to set up an appointment. Um, yeah. So I think g- giving people channels for self-serving there are also going to be a big component of that. Yeah. And you mentioned, um, you know, using a link versus using a button, which mm-hmm. kind of brings up the topic of having a CTA or a call to action in your email is there a certain number of times that someone should include a CTA in their email or is there a certain place in the email where it might perform best? So, yeah, so there's going to be, you want to have like, this is going to, de- and this is going to depend on the format of your email because there are, I think a lot of people get hung up on design versus functionality, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of the time people think I like this, therefore it will perform well. And it's not about what we like. It's about what works. And so sometimes that means in the case of if your email has a banner, right? Mm -hmm. Certain messaging is going to say a banner is better to have there. And other messaging is going to say it's better to not have a banner there, right? And so if you do that, then you definitely want that CTA to be above the fold, which for anyone listening who doesn't know, that means what you see before you have to scroll down. You want someone to immediately be able to take action when they see your email or landing page. Um, Whereas other emails, something like someone who has requested more information from your center, right? Mm -hmm. They've already know what they requested. So they're more likely to scroll down. They're more looking to get information, almost transactional information out of this email. And so at the bottom, then you could have a CTA that says, Here's where you can follow up on that inquiry. Here's where you can set up that um, that scheduled tour with parents, right? Um, so that's those are di- just two different use cases there. Got it. And in terms of kind of standing out from maybe other childcare providers or differentiating themselves, what can they add to their emails in terms of you know we talked about branding or maybe even like personalizing the email to the parent? Right. Right. So there's. You know, and and every business should be using a CRM um, because this is actually a really good example of how it'll help your personalization, which by extension sets you apart from your competitors and sets you apart from other businesses in your area. 
Um, because by using a CRM over time, you're able to sort of collect information that helps you get to know families and gets you helps you get to know the children who would be enrolled in your center. And when you have that information, you're basically able to send them information that's going to actually be relevant to them. And the more relevant your information is to them, the more likely you are to win the enrollment over someone who doesn't have that same sort of personalization. You know, if I walk up to you in the street and I say, hey, you, you're going to know I don't know your name. You're going to know I don't know you that well. And if I don't know you that well, I probably wasn't listening. And if I wasn't listening, you don't really want to be friends with me. (laughs) And so that, I mean, hey, you uh, versus saying like, hey, Brian in an email or even saying like, hey, there, just hey, families. When should um, providers be using like a first name or maybe it's a last name if they're going, you know, a little bit more on the um, traditional side and saying like Mr. Strauss rather than Brian? Yeah. So there's there's um, there's a fine line there, right? Because sometimes certain marketing that goes a little too far where personalization is a little too much, it can feel a little creepy, Yeah. <laughs> a little bit of uh, iRobot, you know, yeah. um, I think. You just, in that case, in those those instances, you got to read the room a little bit, right? If you're sending perhaps a, a notice out about something that's going on at your center, it, like an official sort of communication, in those instances, you might want to say, uh, Mrs. Rossing, you know, um, or the, the Rossing family, mm-hmm. right? If mul- if you know multiple people are through that, that channel. Whereas something fun, like a newsletter, something fun, like, hey, you know, we're having a barbecue at our school this week or a picnic then you might say, hi, you know, Brian, hi, Sierra, Mm -hmm. we'd love to come. Um, Or even in instances of an inquiry, personally, I think an inquiry, and I'm probably, I would probably get pushback on some people on this, but um, on a new inquiry, I'd probably be like, hi, Brian, thanks for reaching out. You know, we appreciate you. We're going to, let's get a tour scheduled, you know? Yeah. And I mean, in terms of the email message, obviously with childcare CRM, because you're able to track both parent information as well as child information. Um, I think there is the option to include like the child's name somewhere in the message. But as you Mm -hmm. mentioned, it can maybe appear like big brother or a little bit creepy to know, you know, an entire family's information. So is there a certain stage in the enrollment decision-making journey where providers may be able to start including like, you know, little Johnny in or Susie in their email messages. Yeah. So there's, and this is, this is somewhere that uh, centers have to be super sort of cognizant of because if there's one thing people are touchy about, it's their children. Like you got to be very careful about how you refer to them. You have to be very conscious of how you're speaking about them. Um, and it's when, and you have to be conscious of when it's appropriate to even refer to them. Cause there's a lot of social instances where if someone brings up your child, you're probably going to be a little defensive, right? Yeah. Uh, even if it is a business you work for. And I think we've all, we all know the parents who like, you know, you've been at, at least, you know, uh, maybe my mom, you know, <laughs> at, at school would have been like my child. Yada, yada, yada. <laughs> but, uh, I'm kidding. We, um, I think in those instances, though, when you're referring to care that children are receiving, when you're referring to um, conferences that might be specific to those children, or when you're just looking to confirm that information is correct on file, I think those are all really good examples about when you're able to pull in the child's information and say, hey, 
you know, here's how we can, we can build engagement with that. Yeah. And so kind of along this line of changing your messaging during the follow-up process, um, and I know we talked about a sense of urgency earlier on, is there a certain time when it's best to initiate that sense of urgency or is there a time when providers should restrict their messaging only to thought leadership pieces? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's, if you're able to determine that someone is actively looking for care, then that should be your flag that, Hey, this is the time to move from educational to, Hey, do you need care? Can we provide you care? This is when you need to, to set a clear, concise message and ask a clear, concise question. And you have to be narrow. You have to be focused. A lot of people try and stuff everything they can into a message. And that's a, right. that's like a really easy way to get each of those messages lost in the shuffle of things, right? So versus educational, someone who uh, in your system might be lost opportunity, someone who might be um, just a subscriber to your email list, but they haven't shown any sort of specific intent to purchase is what you would say in other industries, but in this case, enroll. Yeah. Um, it's it's got to be how, how ready are they to actually become enrolled at your center? And if they're very likely to become enrolled in your center, then that's the time to increase that urgency, especially with the seasonality of enrollments. Mm -hmm. That's going to definitely play a factor in that as well. Yeah. And kind of over the course of our conversation, we've touched on lost leads or lost mm -hmm. opportunities. When should a provider cons consider a family or a parent or a guardian to be a lost lead? So if they're... And I'd probably, <laughs> I realize I'm like saying, oh, so-and-so would probably push back on this because no matter what, there's no right answer across the board. Right. But what I personally, I generally believe that um, a lost opportunity is when so someone is no longer actively courting your center as a um, potential, as the, the child care for that they're seeking for their child. Mm -hmm. Like um, what I mean by that is, once they have either a gone with another competitor mm -hmm. b are just decided not to move forward with care at this time uh see if they go dark on you right a lot of times people will just stop responding because they don't want to have that people don't like obviously don't like conflict they don't want to say nope you know right yeah um, so i think just being honest with yourself about that i think a lot of sellers especially and marketers too um i shouldn't one side that um want to hold on to that opportunity as long as they can. Mm -hmm. um, well, it's better just to shift into that educational mode after their lost opportunity, because now it's like, Hey, it's not happening, but let's get them into a place where it could, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And earlier on, you mentioned, um, you know, at that point, maybe you just send an email to them once a month. So beyond these emails once a month, or maybe included in these emails once a month, how can they still continue to engage families and hopefully regain those opportunities to enroll them? So it's going to be a lot about like, if possible, understanding the lost reason, like, you know, why, what was it that made them not enroll with your center? Did they end up not having, <clears throat> how I like to approach it is, is it something that's permanent or is it something that's temporary? You know, will they never become an enrollee or are they just not right for right now? Mm -hmm. 
And those can be a laundry list of different reasons, right? Someone may, um, may have, um, um, been looking for care long enough to where their child aged out of whatever your center provides, right? That's going to be a will never enroll versus something that's temporary. You know, they may have just not have a need for care anymore at this time. They may have found someone in their, their household, their family, you know, who can provide that for them. But then that family member is not going to be available in two months, three months, six months, you know? So those are, those are some of the reasons. Yeah. And I had, um, I believe it was Julie Wassum. I'm don't want to get that wrong, but I believe it was her who had mentioned that when you're kind of communicating with these lost opportunities to once again, position yourself as this honest, trustworthy, reliable source, include materials, um, you know, maybe links to articles online that talk about if that person talked about they're having trouble with potty training, you know, send them a link to an article about potty training. And are those something that should be happening you know, monthly to kind of position yourself as this thought leader for the family. Yeah. And that, that, that goes into how complex your center wants to make their marketing efforts, right? Mm -hmm. Because some, some centers, what some people will do is they'll build subscription models that say, Hey, that ask the person directly, how often do you want to receive emails? Um, But that's a lot of work. And I get that not everyone has the bandwidth for that. And more often than not, that's going to be something that takes a whole team of people to write that many emails, you know, because <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's work. It's work. Um, but more often than not, I would say less can be more powerful. Um, and consistency is the biggest thing, mm-hmm. right? So whether you choose to go every two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, which are all pretty fair cadences. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally don't like to send more than two in a week but that's just me. Just being consistent with your messaging and the value you provide, right? Because when someone is a lost opportunity and they could still enroll later on and you're sending them things that are genuinely helpful to them and you're no longer trying to sell them, Mm -hmm. that shows a commitment to their success and it shows a commitment to their well-being beyond just the childcare. Sure. Yeah. And we've kind of touched on um, subscriptions and, you know, the group, the audience you're sending these emails to. And this last question is actually from a listener on social media. She Mm -hmm. asked, how do I start building a list of email contacts? Yes. So this is, this is where, um, you, you're going to have to get a little creative, right? And this is a little bit, you're going to one, build your social presence, which is, I think every center should obviously be doing. One thing I will say just to be careful of is, don't feel like you have to be everywhere at once. I think a lot of small businesses make the mistake of saying, I have to be on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Clubhouse. That's, you know, all of these random things. And it's like, hey, is that where parents are at? You know, find your niche and find where you're getting the most engagement, double down on that. And from there, that's where you're able to build an audience and pull that audience away from these sort of um, these these social media channels into your own what's called owned channels, owned being your own email list to where if Facebook closes tomorrow, they if they just disappeared, that's a whole audience that unless you have their information, you've lost. Yeah. And so, and 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 once you have people through social channels um, or through you know school events, conferences, things like that, you're you you're, you're by them willingly giving you that information, they've basically raised their hand to say, hey, maybe I'm not ready to buy right now, but I am 
consenting to you to send me the information that'll build that relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and so between that, you know, marketing, and then if your team has a, a, an enrollment team, this is probably going to be at larger companies. But if you have an enrollment team, then they're going to spend a significant amount of time helping you reach those goals. Not just necessarily for email subscriptions, obviously, but they can play a big part of that strategy if you play it right. Yeah. And I like what you said about, you know, if Facebook were to go away tomorrow, how would you reach those people? Are Is there a way to kind of capture that information from Facebook, you know, to kind of do you just put out a post like, you know, here, email us at this at our, you know, center director's yeah. email account or what's kind of the best way to capture that audience's information? Yeah. So this is where, you know, the education aspect comes into play. Mm-hmm. More often than not, like, think how often any of us in any of our jobs are like, man, I need to accomplish B. I'm looking for an enrollment package, just a standardized thing instead of having to build one myself or pay someone. And you go to Google and you say, ultimate enrollment pack, best enrollment pack, you know? And so like in our case, something might come up and we'll say, cool, here's an enrollment packet that you can use for free, take it you know, put in your email if you want, because people are going to say, oh, this template's super dope. This is great. I love this. I want more of these. They help me. They save me time. Providing people with that value is going to make them willing to engage with your brand and it's going to get people to sign up, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And the same thing with webinars, holding informational, um, you know, webinars are going to, that teach people how to do things, teach them how to do, uh, how to help themselves, you know? Because the more they learn, the more they see the value in what you offer. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I know obviously being that we both work for childcare CRM um, and most of our listeners are childcare CRM users, but what, you know, we have landing pages or, you know, contact forms. Mm -hmm. Can those be easily used on Facebook in a way that encourages people to provide their information that then goes directly into your CRM so you can start emailing them? Yeah. Yeah. And it will. And here's the other thing you can do too, right? You, so you can use landing pages. You can link to those and you can kind of have a clear set, a clear expectation with them that, Hey, you fill this out. Here's what you get. Or you can go with what's known as like a value driven approach where you say, um, where you say X does X for this using like, you want to use active language. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people have the habit of using passive language, which basically means the subject does the, or, um, the object does the verb to the subject, Mm -hmm. whereas you want the subject to do the verb to the object, right? Right. Childcare CRM grows enrollment versus enrollment growth with child, childcare CRM, because now you're focusing on the wrong thing. Yeah. Uh, And so this is a long way of saying making sure that your messaging aligns with the landing page, yes, can be extremely helpful and can have great results. Mm -hmm. It just takes time. It takes conciseness. Yeah. And if someone were to, you know, reach out on Facebook and try to capture that audience's contact information to build their subscriber list, Mm -hmm. how often should they be doing that? You know, let's say for like a one to two center operator, how often should they be requesting that information? They should be, what they should be doing is being consistent enough to where people send it to them without them asking, right? The other thing you can do is you can pair that with a paid strategy. If you have the budget 
what Facebook and LinkedIn and all these places offer is forms within the platform itself, right? So if you want to provide them with that template or provide them with that overview, you can have the form directly within these social media platforms where they can, their information will be auto-populated in there from their account. So that makes it even easier for them because friction is the biggest enemy of conversions. Uh, basically, the more, st- which is a, a short way of saying the more steps, the more likely they are to drop off. Right. And so if you can use something like Facebook or LinkedIn to have that form already there, it's a smidgen more work for you because you have to import those that list of people into your CRM. Mm-hmm. But you're likely to get more of them because yeah. it's easier for the customer. And the easier you make it for the customer, the more likely you are to have more of them. Yeah. And that brings up, um, you know, just a question that I have. But uh-huh. when you talk about this, you know, additional fric- friction and adding these steps on, say, a form instead of just asking for, you know, your name and your email, maybe asking for child's name, age, um, you know, location, would you say that those leads are then going to be a little bit more qualified because they took a little bit more initiative in filling out that form and were willing to complete those additional steps that others weren't? Yes and no, right? So it's going to be it's going to be a balancing act, right? Because technically, yeah, if I have a form that has 20 fields in it and someone takes the time to fill out all of those, they're probably, yeah, more like assuming they fit all of the quali- the criteria to be a customer, then yeah, you're going to have all the information or most of it that you need. The problem being how many people want to fill out 20 fields on a form? Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I like to approach forms in two ways, right? If it's something like a content piece, I want to give it to them for as little information as possible and gain that additional information over time. Because I know this is a long-term thing. I know we're talking for a while. I know I'm going to keep sending you templates. I know I'm going to keep sending you blog articles. I know I'm going to keep sending you webinars. So there's like, it's not a, I have to win it all in one go. It's like, hey, we can slowly build this information, this persona, this profile of you. Whereas something with an inquiry where someone's straight up being like, I want to learn about care. Mm -hmm. You can ask for a smidgen more information than you normally would because this person, you need to establish that they could even be a customer or an enrollment at your center. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think this was really great information and I'm excited to kind of continue the conversation um, in our webinar on uh, May, or excuse me, not May, (laughs) on, um, let's see, June 23rd. I almost got that wrong. June 23rd at 11 a.m. Central Time. Um, It's going to be Brian uh, joined with Chris Murray, Latrice Galloway, who is an ECE leader as well as a childcare owner, and then Genevieve Carbone, who serves as the head of marketing at Kangaroo Time. So it's going to be a roundtable discussion about some of the topics we went over today and some new ones. And if you have any questions or follow-up questions from today's podcast, feel free to send them over to us on um, any of our social channels, and we'll try to include those in the webinar as well. Thanks so much for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about childcare CRM or childcare forms, visit us online at childcarecrm.com. And make sure to follow, rate, and review so you never miss out on another episode.